The facts are fun. The academic rigor is questionable. <laughs> this is Fun Fact. <laughs> Fun fact, most ancient cultures didn't have a word for blue and therefore didn't recognize it as a color. Hmm. In, okay. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Okay. As in, like, we think of, we have labels for, for our primary color, like, you know, like orange, green, blue. That's funny that that's the first one you chose. Uh, well, orange. I don't know. I, I'm, a, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think. I, started, I just start talking and I'm like, what am I trying to say? What I mean is, like, when they didn't think of it as a color yeah. in the way that we don't necessarily think of like puce and periwinkle as colors because they're not like the primary things that we refer to. No, but to. Imagine, imagine if that was blue and therefore you couldn't, you wouldn't be likely to distinguish it or notice it. Let's get into it. Yeah, let's get let's into it. Let's learn this. together. Yeah, I feel like I have something to learn here. In, in 1858, because that's, that's fun, William mm-hmm. Gladstone, who was the future prime minister of England, which I just note because it's funny to me, mm-hmm. noticed that in the Odyssey, you know, the Odyssey, yeah, Homer describes the sea as wine-faced, mm. which Gladstone interpreted to mean wine-dark. Okay. Mm, and he also noticed that this wasn't the only sort of odd color description in the book. Honey was described as green. Mm. Iron and sheep were described as violet. Sheep? Yeah. Seems odd, no? So mm. so Gladstone counted all the color references that were in the Odyssey. And apparently, I did not fact check this, speaking of academic rigor, black <laughs> is mentioned 200 times and white is mentioned 100 times. Okay. Red, less than 15 times. Okay. Yellow and green, both less than 10. And no blue. Huh. So Gladstone looked at the other ancient Greek texts that he had available to him and noticed there was also no mention of blue in any of those. That's interesting because these texts have been around for thousands of years. Yeah. And now we're just sort of like that that information with this discovery that they're not talking using blue. No one noticed. Blue at all. No one noticed. But yeah. it was right kind of staring at you. Yeah. So he, he then looked, I guess he maybe got an ancient Greek dictionary and noticed there wasn't even a word for blue in the ancient Greek language. Right. So he just thought this was something odd about ancient greeks Hmm. but then another scholar whose name was lazarus geiger he looked at a bunch of other ancient cultures and he found that the same thing was true in the icelandic sagas the quran the ancient chinese stories and the hebrew bible huh in the in the hindu vedic hymns there are more than ten thousand lines talking about the sky and none of them use the color blue huh do they Refer to it when it's other colors? As other yeah, yeah. Colors? They talk about it being all kinds of colors, never blue. Huh. So they just didn't have a... They didn't have a word for it. So there, there was... And of course, I imagine you'll get to this, but like, is it one of those kind of things where like you use an adjacent word like they'll refer to it as, as purple or green when they really mean blue? Absolutely. So there was no blue in any of these cultures, and it wasn't distinguished from green, hmm. specifically green, or other often darker colors. Hmm. So Geiger looked at this a little more, and he looked at when the word entered various languages Mm -hmm. and he found a really strong pattern which is that apparently every language he studied which seems like it was a lot especially given that he was already talking about icelandic arabic uh chinese hebrew hindu or hindi you know like he was looking all over and apparently every language started with black and white or some variant of that like dark and light and then in every other every language he studied the next color that was added was red Usually a reference to either blood or wine. Right. And then usually yellow comes next, then green. Sometimes it's green, then yellow. 
And the last color in all of these languages was blue, with one exception. I'm trying to get, I don't have a good guess of which one. Egyptian, maybe? Yeah, the only ancient color to develop a word for blue was the Egyptians. Well, the Egyptians had, like, thousands of years ago, like, blue in their mosaics. They were the only ones who could make a blue dye. Ah, okay. Mm -hmm. They had a word for it. In Japanese, Thai, Korean, and Lakota Sioux, Hmm. the word for blue also includes green. Hmm. In Welsh, the current word for blue comes from the word for green. So grass, if you literally translate it, is blue straw. Hmm. And what I find most fascinating is that there are even cultures still living today that off, that have a, as a single word shades that cover both green and blue. And the, oh. the one that came up the most when I was looking at this is a group of people who live in northern Namibia called the Himba. Okay. And I'll say in a second, I'll send you a chart to show you what their color spectrum is. But they basically have like, uh, don't have different words to separate blue from green. Mm-hmm. And so when they were tested on their color perception... They were shown like swaths of colors, uh, uh, swatches of blue and green, and they struggled to pick out the blue. Interesting. Which you or I would find extremely easy. Like if you look at the chart that they show, it's like obvious which one it is. But what they were really good at is that they have one word for green that includes some shades of green and another word for green that includes other shades of green that are fairly similar to me. Ah, interesting. Okay. And if you look at that... Like, see how the I'm going to pronounce these wrong. Apologies to any Himbo Himba speakers here, but the word dum, "dumbu" seems to include some greens that are extremely similar to the greens covered by burrow. Yeah, well, there's a there's like a boundary line boundary line in between each yeah. color, but and yeah. it's pretty gradiated. And so mm-hmm. they they were shown a color wheel where all of the greens to me look very similar, and I really had to like study it to to pick out. I'll send you the link to the one of the articles I read about this. Mm. Uh, I really had to like study it to, to pick out which of the greens was the one that was different. If you scroll way down, you'll see a bunch of green colors. Yeah. And I can see one of them is yellowier. They could immediately spot that. Whereas I see it's pretty subtle. Like I can tell which one is yellowier, but it's very subtle, right? Subtle. Yeah. And so basically, uh, some people, when this first started being known, actually suggested that ancient people literally couldn't see blue. Hmm. Like if there was something physiological in their eyes where the, like the wavelength of blue wouldn't per- perceive. Well, we've talked before that one of the um, color perceptions is relatively newly evolved. Yeah. But I think we're talking, when we say newly evolved, we're talking the Allen Pike scale of newly evolved. Yeah. Like really recently like in the last like 50 million years. Right. Like so, so, but in fact, it, it isn't that ancient people couldn't see the, same wavelength we would describe as blue it's just that they didn't have a way to talk about it and when you don't have a way to talk about something it basically just doesn't exist Hmm. Hmm. which i just find absolutely fascinating that's one of those interesting things in uh george orwell writes about that if you shape the way people the words people have for something then you shape the way that they think about that thing or don't think about that thing right i believe there's a Karl marx quote where it's like uh every person i'm de-genderizing it every person makes their own history but they don't make their own historical circumstances basically Hmm. so like you -hmm. you can do whatever you want but only inside the possibility space of what's considered to be possible or what like what the i think about this a lot actually like how many things do we just not see because they're outside the realm of what we think is possible at this moment in time yeah and so you just don't perceive it we're just not seeing it we're just completely missing it and it tends to take like, and I think that might be one of the explanations for why 
like something like the bicycle is invented in like 10 different places at very similar times by completely different people who had no connection with each other. And it's just because all of the things that made the existence of the bicycle possible, but also sort of the understanding and ideas to widen the possibility space where a bicycle could exist had happened in those places around Mm. the same time. And so like smart people just thinking about things and messing around with stuff would all sort of come to the same conclusion because suddenly that conclusion was kind of available for them to come to. Yeah, which kind of hints that like if there's other aliens out in the world that have anywhere close to our sort of bipedal sort of locomotion, they probably also will make a bicycle too when they are able to. Yeah, something like that, right? Like it's just like assuming some relatively similar periods of development. Whereas Uh, there's some things in our history where... If another, if there was another alternate history that, that forked off and different, slightly different species evolved, or just any historical chain of events, you just wouldn't have like, uh, you know, ASCII, right? <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. It's like this coding system for exactly, oh, this number is this letter, and this number is this letter, yeah. and there's we a just, whole bunch of weird vagaries. And, and if you suggest that someone, someone would be like, "What? Yeah, why would you possibly why, encode what things this on way? Earth?" Yeah, like, no. Well, there was a typewriter in the seventies that was digital, and well, yeah, I mean, wasn't Querity designed to like slow down typewriting so that certain it wouldn't jam as much? It wouldn't yeah. jam as much. So, like, you just wouldn't do that if the typewriter, like, if you know, if the typewriter had not existed when it did, or if you know, yeah. different thing. Like, so it's 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 all just that, super those, interesting. There, there's probably people who are like wanting to email in the. Uh, there is a term for this, which is path dependence. Oh, and it's interesting to to. Like I think about and reflect that. on what things in our history and also in like when you're thinking about an organization, like thinking about like, oh, how do we do things at our company? Some of the things the way you do at your company was, is like a really um, precisely kind of a thing from first principles where it's like philosophically we try to do these things. And other things it ends up being, well, well, most companies by now would have adopted X. But just because of the the way that we got to where we are, and we never really had quite as big of a team as other companies did in civil circumstances, and this and this and this and this, and so we just kind of have this artifact that's just path dependent on the fact that how we got where we are is why we do X rather than because it's um, based on some big theory. So it's uh, it, I think it's important that anyone out there who is not familiar with what Alan does the rest of the time he's not hosting the show <laughs> know that he is both the CEO of a small company and a blogger about sort of work thought things just to put in context like i don't know what to call it what would you how would you describe your blogging endeavors um yeah i struggle sometimes with it like sometimes the way i describe it is i write about uh, software and the tricky things around that you're a thought leader Uh, i I didn't want to say that because it's a terrible term my goal is to learn things and then share what i learned rather than yeah (laughs) lead thought But at any rate, it's not just in case anyone's like, what? Why the hell is he suddenly talking about like how software companies organize themselves? Yeah, that maybe seems kind of random. Whereas to me, that's just like the very first thing that comes to mind. No, of course. And I know you well enough to know that that would be the very first thing that would come But, to but path dependence is an interesting thing. Maybe I'll pull No, path dependence is super, super interesting. And I think, you know, like, because there's that Jungian concept of like morphogenic resonance or like, you know, basically like there's some sort of connection on some level between people having the same ideas and i i I just tend to think it's more like you know the the influences that are available to that you know no one is that unique and there's like people with sort of similar thought process methodologies around the world and like if presented with sort of similar like problems like imagine you had like an escape room or something and you put 
uh, you just did like a crazy big study where you put like just tons and tons of people in this escape room and track sort of what their method of getting out was, you would start to see patterns emerge that like hmm. some people would do it one way. Some people would do it the another way. And you, if you dived into those people, you might find other similar, similar things in in parts of their experiences or parts of their lifestyles or part, it's just something where you're like, okay, this is why this path was probably the most open to you was the most possible in the space of sort of things, you know, things you've experienced, things you've encountered, you know, that kind hmm. of stuff. Yeah. And you'd also see things like, you know, the group of people that did X would then have tend to also then notice or appro- attempt Y um, because X worked or whatever, you know, anyway. Right. Um, I also have a fact. Oh, what? I know. Well, I didn't, I didn't what see that. I didn't see that coming. Fun fact. Uh, some species of kelp can grow as fast as two feet per day. Per day? Per day. This kelp. Now, st- okay, the, because otherwise it's terrifying. The first question I need to ask you is, is there a, do they have a terminal length? <laughs> that would be awesome if they didn't. And it's just like, <laughs> if you protect the kelp, then it's like 100, 100 miles long. Uh, they do have, the, have a terminal length. Okay. They get about 100 feet tall. If anyone's not familiar 100 with kelp. is still pretty tall. That's really tall. <laughs> yeah. um, so... Uh, if anyone's not familiar with kelp, there are these long seaweedy uh, growths uh, that we find, especially in the Pacific Northwest, although in oceans around in other parts of the world as well. Um, and they grow up from the seafloor, and they can grow up to 100 feet, actually sometimes as long as 175 feet long. Oh, that's uh, way more than you first said. Well, 100 feet is like their typical length. Oh, okay, I see. And then 175 is the, the longest they get. So um, long. And then they provide a great uh, ecosystem and habitat uh, for various kinds of creatures like otters and things like that live in the kelp Do forest. some people eat kelp? So it's interesting you say that. The, the rapid growing properties yeah. um, of kelp and its uh, cousins and siblings um, has uh, been an area of great research. So definitely you know, seaweed in general has been eaten for a long time um, in various cultures. Yeah, um, but it's pretty been, yummy. Yeah, it can be very yummy. And there's been a substantial amount of both increase of commercialization of um uh of that kind of stuff as well as uh a like research into uh new ways that they could be used for like kind of plant-based foods that are both sustainable and uh easy to grow and so probably cost efficient too yeah i'm seeing here that that it's it is a food source in russia Hmm. like the far east part of russia which makes sense to me and probably came in handy during the great famines of the russian past Sure. Especially if it grows two feet a day. Like, you know, because people talk a lot about how, you know, in the future we're all going to be eating bugs and stuff. Yeah. Maybe we'll be eating kelp. Maybe we'll be eating kelp. Yeah, I'm slightly more keen on the idea of eating kelp than bugs if you're just going to give me a... Yeah, me too. Although, to be honest, that's... I don't... It's something in us that, like, makes us feel that way. But, like, there's not really any substantial difference between eating bugs and eating anything else we eat, really. Well, it really just comes down to, like, is it clean? And, like, we've been sort of brought up to think that bugs aren't clean. Um, but no, I mean, I find it very hard. I ate like a, I was in a a restaurant one time with, with my wife and I, I accidentally ordered like crickets or something. Mm -hmm. Like I just didn't know what the word, I just, you know, classic mistake. And, uh, and then I, I sort of forced myself to eat one and it wasn't actually bad, but like, and a lot of people eat them. It's a, you know, common treat in parts of the world, but there was something so built into my, like, brain of like don't yeah. don't eat this <laughs> and it wasn't even it wasn't even bad but it was so hard for me to do it was like just the the reality of it made it made it very very difficult whereas kelp i don't know the texture maybe you dry it i guess it's probably great 
I mean, yeah, I like, think of I like it, seaweed. Yeah, you think of it as a plant, uh, although apparently it's not a plant. It's an algae. It's the largest algae. What is the difference? Um, there's a few differences, but the primary difference is, is that algae don't have distinct roots oh. or a vascular system. So like okay. a plant, like a land-born plant, um, ha- generally has distinct roots that uh, anchor itself into the ground. Yeah. And then a vascular system that like lets it circulate the stuff that plants need to circulate throughout their uh i don't say body but throughout themselves um whereas algae don't have that they're simpler uh kind of precursors to plants and so most of them are are very small but uh they can get as large as 175 175 feet tall have you uh ever thought about like whether or not someday we'll I'm in a weird headspace today. Have you ever thought about someday we might discover that like plants, like you mentioned the vascular system, but mm-hmm. like in fact plants are not really any different from animals in terms of like their level of sentience. Oh yeah, that they feel pain and they've been horrified all these times. Yeah, and then vegans them. are just going to be like so traumatized. Yeah. <laughs> like this. I, I definitely occasionally that's one of those kind of like thoughts you have when you're falling asleep or, or just idly letting your brain wander or whatever. Do you have like terrifying nightmares after you fall asleep <laughs> on a regular basis? <laughs> no, just your brain starts going like, wait, wait a minute. What if this or at least that's the way my, or shower thoughts or whatever. Um, so I definitely have contemplated that. I feel like that every time that I have looked it up, scientists don't seem particularly concerned that plants are as sentient as uh as people well are i i hope they're right by the way i just i don't want anyone to write in i just like googled the i went to the i didn't google we all know i didn't google you i don't cozy-ed. know why i said that i cozied kelp and i ended up at the wikipedia page and this says that they can get up to 260 feet mm, well, i'm gonna have to do some do some double cross-checking references one of the things i've found in general when you when you try to quickly gauge how big can a thing get yeah which is a thing that comes up in the show fairly often yeah you'll get there's there's a few different ways that people will consider a reasonable answer to that mm. there's one which is like what is the absolute world record of all time which is a super outlier and now gotcha, we look at gotcha. it's like a super yeah, yeah, and then yeah. there's like a if you're a scientist that often sees these things and interacts with them what is probably the longest typical specimen that you would see and then sometimes things just say what is the average size of the thing yeah well this is weird because i just clicked on one of them and it then it says that it can only go to 118 feet yeah and mm-hmm. the other one says that it can go to 150 so i don't know the, the wikipedia be wikipediaing sometimes you know what i mean yeah well and it's like my, my source of 175 feet is not it, like i haven't gone to a, a peer-reviewed study to get that to be more accurate <laughs> do you i do think you can cite wikipedia in like high school papers yet i doubt it could i mean do for it the reasons we that you've just illuminated it probably shouldn't <laughs> i mean if you cite it and let everyone know that it's wikipedia i feel like that in theory is fine yeah i feel like it's probably a bad habit but yeah probably anyway back to the show that we mostly cite wikipedia about our facts <laughs> um my daughter uh ellie when she heard i was going to tell this fact about uh, kelp growing two feet per day uh-huh. she wanted to add the fact that bamboo grows really fast as well that's so, I did so a quick true search to find out how fast and uh one of the top results on google informed me that certain bamboo species can grow four centimeters per second per second that's the words it said on that page that is terrifying i found that fairly surprising so i did the math and if that's true that would be eight feet a minute that's terrifying. That would mean that bamboo can grow three kilometers a day. Terrifying. 
I don't know for sure. I didn't do any further research beyond that because I was just like, I feel like the world would be a more interesting place if if that were true. You could use bamboo as like a weapon. Like you just like plant some pointed at your enemy and it would just. Well, first of all, you can use bamboo as a weapon. Well, sure. But I mean, you don't even have to like wield it. You could just plant it and then it's it just, just like. Well, just, you might be able to do that, too, because we, you know, my like brother and sister-in-law live directly next door to me and they used to have bamboo in their yard. And they and first of all, it grew like crazy. And second of all, they had like stuff installed to they didn't even do this. The people before them did it. But they had like stuff installed to like prevent it from going to neighbors yards. Mm -hmm. And just like a massive strand of it came up right across the fence to our yard. And it was like coming constantly like they had just uh, redone the yard when we bought the house. And within like weeks of us moving in, there was bamboo shooting up from the ground all over the place and growing so fast so uh-huh. i definitely believe that we had to have all of the bamboo removed uh because otherwise it was just popping up everywhere and it was massive and it grows and at three kilometers were, a day it was so i mean it was growing like honestly that it was it was like within a month like within a month it was like two or three feet i mean yeah it, that's not three kilometers a day but like it was very fast it was terrifyingly fast I, I would link the, the citation here on the three kilometers a day, but I feel like that would just increase its SEO even more when people <laughs> want to get the real answer, which according to Wikipedia is a two to three feet per day. So it's a, a bit faster than the kelp, actually. That's so fast. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I don't have a fact about things growing quickly. Oh, I thought that was our theme for today. But I do have a fact. Okay. All, All right. right. You're welcome to yeah. stay then. Thank you. Fun fact, there really was a specific John who possibly lent his name as a euphemism for going to the toilet. Okay. This is the the joke they make in uh, that Robin Hood. Yes. Uh, right. Yes. So I, okay. So first of all, we're clearly back on etymology corner. Of course, as often we are. Where nothing is true, but everything is conceivable. Mm, yeah. Mm. But I always thought that calling it the toilet a John was a reference to King John. But then I realized today, as I was, or like recently when I was doing this research, that that's just because that's what Captain Picard says at the end of Men in Tights. Right. So is that, is that the character's name, Captain Picard? <laughs> no, it's Patrick Stewart. It's, oh, because it's Patrick Stewart, of course. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's something that a podcast uh, that I love does where the one of the guys it's the podcast is called black men can't jump in hollywood and one of the guys like refuses to call actors by their name it just oh, calls he just them refers by to them by their famous yeah mm, okay so mm-hmm. rude i do that occasionally when i'm just trying to get a point across yeah so or making rate, fun of i think at the end he says let this henceforth because the idea is that you know king john for those of you who don't know or haven't watched men in tights recently or any robin hood movie you know richard the lionhearted is away at the crusades which i don't know why we're lauding someone for crusading but at any rate uh richard is off crusading and his slimy brother john sort of steals the kingdom while he's gone so at the end when john is defeated then they're like forever henceforth the toilet shall be referred to as the john right and then you're like oh okay well now i know the origin of this thing and i'll never think about it again robin hood men in tights but making sure that they're fully factually accurate apparently on like one of the most recent episodes this came up and then i wrote down that i was going to do this as follow-up but i have no memory now of why i did that so if this is follow-up for everyone out there, if you remember, you're welcome. But so the, the the truth is that, of course, no one seems to know exactly why the toilet is called a John. Hmm. Before they were being called Johns, they were called Jakes. <laughs> oh, okay. Which is amazing because Jake is a form of John. But the name Jake 
was apparently a very common term in the Middle Ages for just everyday household objects. Oh, interesting. And over time, it sort of came to refer to the toilet specifically, which I just is, I don't know. All of this is delightful to me. So the switch from Jake to John is not super well documented, but there is the story of a certain Sir John Harrington, which I think we should examine. All right. Sounds fancy and well respectable. Yeah. So he was a poet in late 1500s England. Referred to as the saucy godson of Queen Elizabeth I. Partially because he actually was her actual godson. Mm -hmm. One of 102. She was Mm -hmm. quite prolific. No kids of her own, but 102 godchildren. That's rather a lot. That is a lot, yeah. But also because he liked to stir the pot. And I hope Mm -hmm. you noticed that I avoided the obvious pun and the E we would have to put on this episode. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) So... He was called the Saucy Godson because he wrote controversial poetry, Mm. and it often found him out of favor at court. But in his spare non-poetry writing time, he also invented an early English flush toilet. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. He he named it Ajax, which was a play on Ajax, which I guess is supposed to be similar to Jake. Oh, okay. I don't really get that. Hmm. All right. Pronunciation, maybe. Yeah. uh, Early English humor was... Really, modern English humor is kind of weird sometimes. Mm. I want to mm. point out that the toilet was not invented like in England and like flush toilets existed in like ancient Egypt, but like right. it was a English toilet. And so he wrote a satirical companion book about this invention. Okay. Which he called A New Discourse Upon a Stale Subject, The Metamorphosis of Ajax. Okay. Which was supposedly a toilet manual. <laughs> But it was satirical. Well, it apparently was also a subversive piece of political li- literature, like calling out the Earl of Leicester or something. And, and also you needed something to read now that they invented the toilet. That's right. You but it got something. him exiled again. Oh, well, it seems like that is kind of the, <laughs> this guy's game. Yeah. But before he got exiled, the queen got one of the toilets. And apparently you flushed it every 20 uses, mm-hmm. which is okay. really gross. And it used seven and a half gallons per flush. Well, I mean, if there's 20 uses in there, then I guess I would want it to. That sounds appropriate. So it was super noisy, uh and it didn't really take off commercially, but it might be the where where we get the name from. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't wasn't until a few centuries later that the modern S-trap was invented, which made the toilet much less smelly. Right. Right, because it just wouldn't sit there. That's interesting. It, I, uh, it seems like that's something that could have been invented at any previous time. There's no one thought about it. There's no one thought about it. Yeah, it was invented later, and it, you know it's got water sitting in it, and you know. And then w- the the real thing that took off to make toilets like commercially viable, at least in England, was when the modern flapper valve was invented, hmm, okay. and that created a virtual monopoly for the company who invented it, hmm. who were called Thomas Crapper and Co. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. And now you might be assuming that, in fact, this is all a bait and switch. And I'm going to tell you now that that's the reason why some people call the toilet a crapper. I mean, that seems fairly plausible. Considering. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> the word really? crap is a Middle Ages term that already existed. Wow. Okay. So his name was already Pooper. <laughs> and then he's like, you know what I should make? A pooper. He invented the toilet. His name was Thomas Crapper. Oh, well. Yeah. Oh. God, it's amazing. But, you know, do, are you familiar with the, the fact that in the UK, people often refer the toilet as a loo? Oh, yeah. You know why? I don't. Yeah. So this comes from a French term, which I'm now going to butcher. I just 
wanted to butcher as many languages as I could this week. Mm-hmm. Gardez-le, which is what people used to shout, apparently, in merry old England, as they would empty their chamber pots out of their window. Oh, look out below. Mm. Yeah, it just meant, like, incoming, sewer water, yeah. Yeah. And that eventually became Gardilu and then just Lou. Oh. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. And and so two more two more fun asides that I learned oh, while wow. doing this. Okay. That I, could... <laughs> <laughs> I had so much fun with this one. So, first of all, did you know that the hemisphere you live in does not change the way the spin direction of the spin of your toilet? Oh no, that's just the thing that I just a piece of junk in my brain that I've always assumed is no, true. No, because it, well, it does work that way for sinks. Oh, but not the toilet because the toilet has a little angled jet. Toilet spin is controlled by the direction the water jets are pointed. So, exactly. But if you buy one in Australia, do they make it go the other way? Is just for way like, just to it? like not upset people. Well, just like, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it just feels like that's the way it goes around. Yeah. So they just, maybe there's like, oh, this is the way water goes. Yeah. So then you look at it in the sink, you're like, hey, yeah. And then the toilet, like, why is this backwards? Yeah. I hope that that is true. If any of our listeners are in well, I Australia. I imagine we have some Australian listeners. Which so. I'm sure we do. Yeah. Please let us know. And yeah. finally, I would like to return to our friend, Sir John Harrington. Hmm. Okay. Who is not only remembered for perhaps coining the term John, mm-hmm. but also for a political epigram he uttered, which I found both insightful and delightful. Okay. He's going to lay down some some truth. So I've got some truth for you. Treason doth never prosper. What's the reason? Why? If it prosper, none dare call it treason. <laughs> and that I- is a very, <laughs> that's like a good Shakespearean. <laughs> the, the, the fool says that kind of thing, but then is actually like the only one who is. Uh, He's the really only one. He's the only on. one who sees. Yeah. The only yeah. one who knows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I like that one. That's a good one. Thanks. Um, I feel like that's a pretty good length for our show, but I have a quick follow-up, or I think it's a, probably a quick follow-up. Okay. Um, we discussed eye color recently on the show. We sure did. Mine, uh, to be specific. Yes, and Arik described hazel as the eye color that consists of multiple colors in concentric rings, like green and yellow and gray and brown. Uh, I, bl- I believe this came up two episodes ago, uh, Sounds Made Up, episode 62. Uh, but unfortunately, the, the description... Does, apparently is not quite right as far as i can tell hazel means an eye color that is both green and brown regardless of the pattern but the phenomena where you have a different eye color on the inside of your iris versus the outside is called central heterochromia which happens for hazel eyes and other color kinds of eyes like gray. oh how did you discover were you like are you fact checking me now well only not not intentionally <laughs> it came out of noticing that my daughter ellie has uh this uh, her, this central heterochromia where this the inside of her eye has a bit of brown and, and hazel or not hazel but brown and gold uh, and but the outside is gray um and so i was like oh that's interesting does that mean she have hazel eyes and so i googled a little more to understand like mm. to talk about that color combination and and um kind of what where it comes from or maybe like uh what genetic factors might influence or whatever and then it led me down this thing of like oh, nobody's calling that hazel apparently they call it oh. just one variant of central heterochromia because there's also the other the the classic heterochromia is when you have two different colored eyes yes that's yeah. not central central heterochromia. Hetero- heterochromia yeah many people that, with yeah. hazel eyes have a brown ring around the outer part adding in and sometimes it's a form of central heterochromia but not always so okay so this is a circle this is a square rectangle situation mm-hmm. uh yeah as i said when we did that episode uh and thank you very much for the correction uh the if you look up 
eye colors on the internet. It's horrible. It is one of the worst sets of like garbage posts central that I've, well, I've ever seen. It, it, the, the kelp and bamboo stuff was the same way. Like there's definitely something that's been happening over the last few years, which there's been people writing about this, but that there's a lot of generated garbage content on certain categories of things that people Google that so because like all, all those top things if about eye colors they're not it's not like Wikipedia and National Geographic no it's like the websites are trying to sell stuff to do with eyes like Tons, they're trying to sell yeah, contacts totally. the same thing with this bamboo the bamboo that grows three kilometers a day <laughs> was on something that was trying to sell bamboo paper it was just oh, SEO and like yeah. I think it's just you know what I think it is I think it's uh, AI generated garbage oh yeah maybe like no human is gonna be like like oh yeah how does bamboo how fast does bamboo grow three kilometers a day right but to like, ai and then it, someone whatever just peeks at it and they're like yeah, it's good yeah. paste and words then don't, it, it words don't mean anything anyway. this page that sells stuff yeah as yeah. the kind of relatedly one of the things that i really admire about like cgp gray for example mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. that he will spend like an infinite amount of time yeah, trying to find out if a if a if something he's saying in one of his videos actually is true or not. To the best of his possible ability, he will track down every citation to its original source and figure out. And I was, I th- I was, I we do not do that on this show. I want to be very very clear <laughs> about that. But I was going to do a fact on the show that I, I might have, I almost might not have done anyway because I feel like it's been making the rounds lately. But did you see this fact that supposedly pre-industrial revolution, you didn't have to polish silver because it didn't tarnish? Because there wasn't as much sulfur in the air. No, I didn't see that fact. Is that did did that fact check out when you no? <laughs> like someone wrote that in a blog post about making silver bullets. Okay, and someone else found it and put it on a list of things they learned last year, and then caught key link to it, and then I saw it, and I was like, oh, that's super interesting, and I started looking into it because it, it involved volcanoes, and you know we love volcanoes on this mm. show, so I started looking into it, and if you dig into it even a little bit, it's like, yeah, this probably isn't true. Like, you know, there's like tons of like basically this guy wrote it on this one blog. It probably isn't true. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, The the Industrial Revolution definitely added more stuff to the air, but not the stuff that tarnishes silver. Volcanoes already existed, like just really unlikely to be true. And I just think like there are so many websites that just say something. And if you don't want to spend, you know, eight months of your life to determine what one line in a video about airport or like why Canada why all the Canadian airports start with a Y, you don't want to start, you don't want to spend eight months trying to figure that out. You know, like, I mean, I, I assume most people would just spend the eight months, but if you don't have those eight <laughs> Yeah, months, most people would. Yeah. But, but every once in a while you get lazy bums like us that are willing yeah. to spend like an hour. <laughs> yeah. And not more than that. <laughs> so I just, but you yeah, know, there is out. a Patreon tier, which is the full-time job fun fact. Uh, that oh, if yeah. You can, if you can pay both of our salaries, then I think I would probably have a lot of fun going around. Well, it seems like CGP Gary sometimes has a lot of not fun. <laughs> when he needs to find out no, I attack. would love it. If I, I if, just, if, if you want to, if you want to pay me to like find out if things are actually true or not, I'm super down for that. Yeah, because we could go more in depth, and we could like we could do a bunch of facts, and then just like. Uh, publish the best ones, the ones that turned out to be interesting or fun. And yeah, we would spend way more time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, that's a that's a test for you. For uh, just you need to go find the totally existing page. Patreon.com slash this doesn't really exist. Yeah. We're sorry. <laughs> and then go subscribe at the but we top should start, tier. We should start putting in an address for the Patreon that will that will. Oh, for, for a, when we do it. Exist. So I mean, it would be Patreon.com slash fun fact. 
Well, it could be taken by then. Maybe one oh, of the, one right. of the factors just, is going to take it because we keep <laughs> we keep promoing it, and someone registered. Like, yeah, send, send me some money. Uh, uh, please it's, don't do that. It's not it's not taken as of right now, but you might want to go lo- like grab that before this episode. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> 